Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Being Brown and Bold podcast. I'm your host, Jess Thomas. We are so glad that you are joining us for another amazing conversation about stepping out of our comfort zone, being bold, and taking chances. I don't know if you have subscribed yet, but these conversations are happening every week and you don't want to miss it. Every episode has an amazing nugget of wisdom that's going to be an encouragement for you to take chances in your own life. Today, I'm chatting with Riji Raja, founder of Affirmation Darling, a wellness stationery brand built on powerful affirmations. She originally grew up in Kuwait, but after living in Texas, she and her husband moved from Dallas to Los Angeles to pursue acting. With the high cost of living in Southern California, their living situation quickly fell apart, forcing them to downsize from a two-bedroom, then to a one-bedroom, then to an apartment shared with 10 other people before finally living in their car. They were homeless for two years, but thanks to a mission hiring company, they were able to sign a long-term lease in 2019 on their own apartment. This took a toll on their mental well-being, which is the inspiration behind the social impact stationary business project called Affirmation Darling. Affirm Actions is a box of cards with affirmations plus actions for artists and creative. She advocates for young adults from underserved and disadvantaged communities facing homelessness and mental health issues by donating her stationery for each one sold. She is taking her experiences and doing something to help others. And her story is so inspiring. There's such a stigma against homeless people, and this is going to change your mind of what does it actually mean to be displaced. So let's have this conversation with Riji Raja. Riji, it is so great to have you here today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So to get started, we really feel like names are important, especially in our culture. Can you share your name and how to pronounce it, what it means? Oh, I love that. Okay. So my name is Riji Raja, but my mom calls me Riji. So it's really quick, but America loves to extend. So it's Riji. So I go with all of that. So Raja means king, which I assume, assume everybody knows. Regi is actually derived from Regina, which is my grandmother's name. And Regina means queen. I just learned like maybe three years ago that that's what it means. So I'm like, wait, this queen and king in my name. I am constantly telling myself to walk in that identity. I think it's part of my identity, part of my brand, part of my life. So, yeah. That's awesome to like know that you're living as royalty is amazing. Yeah. Royalty, yeah. That's, that's the word. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about your cultural heritage and what it was like for you to live in the Middle East, in India, and how that informed your, your life? I was born and raised in Kuwait, and I lived there for 26 years, so that's the better part of my life. And then my husband happened, and I moved to the U.S. Uh, I moved to Dallas in 2014. So I got married in 2013. Um, and then 2014, it was like in six months, I moved to the US. Uh, and then we, and then we eventually wanted to leave Dallas and then we moved to LA, but there's a lot of cultures going on here. So my mom and dad are from two different States in India. My mom's from Kerala 
my dad's from Tamil Nadu. So there's two different languages, two different cultures. I think we, we can all resonate with that, that we all watch movies in different languages and we understand, but, uh, and we also can speak. And so we're all like struggling with code switching, right? So there's that part of me coming into the US and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of cultures in me, but how do I neutralize this? Uh, so I had, I came in culture shocked with this accent and immediately I land and I'm like, oh, I don't think I fit in here anymore. But, you know, being in America or oh, coming to America was my dream. It's uh, I've always wanted to know what it's like to live the American dream going through life. And I realized, wait, this is not what I'm seeing in movies. You know, this is not this is real. Everything else that's portrayed on TV is not real. There's this Middle Eastern culture, then there's my mom's culture, and then there's my dad's culture, and then coming to the U.S., uh, getting married to my husband, who is from my mom's side, which is from Kerala. Um, and yeah, it's been pretty interesting. And I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around uh, this life that I'm living. So did you grow up speaking English or Tamil or Malayalam? What did you grow up speaking? Everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. All of them, all at once. Uh, there's that movie, every everything, everywhere, all at once. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I, that's what I've been doing, and I still do that. Uh, so I, when I was, uh, I studied in India. I did my bachelor's and master's in India. And so, uh, fortunately, my roommates were all Telugu. So here I am now learning that language as well. But I still need subtitles. But I, I do understand a little bit. And then in Kuwait, Arabic was a must. So that was also added to my plate. And then I was tired of Hindi by ninth grade and I switched to French. So I learned French for two years. And when we went for our honeymoon to uh, Paris, uh, I was able to understand everything there. And my husband was like, thank God I married somebody who studied French. I was like, you are lucky. I'm so, so proud of uh, where I come from and what I have in me. That's amazing. I'm always fascinated when people know so many languages. And my family came from Kerala the year before I was born. And in the beginning, they taught me all Malayalam. But then by the time I was like two, they were like, wait a minute, we're gonna stay in America. She should know English. So they stopped speaking to me in Malayalam and only English. And I all I did was watch public television with all like the kid shows like Sesame Street, Electric Company, Mr. Rogers. So I could just learn English. So I didn't learn Malayalam. We watched some Hindi movies and Malayalam movies, but I didn't like pick it up. And I feel so sad that I'm like, oh no, that prime opportunity when you're younger to learn things, I I lost it. So oh, um, you can always learn it now. It's not too late. I don't think I you'll could, ever but I'm old now. So it takes a lot more effort <laughs> to do it. You're not old. I'm sorry, there's no ageism in my dictionary. You're right. I mean, I'm not old. I have like like my parents are 80, they're starting to get old now starting to get old <laughs> yeah i love that see you yeah. are like a long way from there but as far as my brain learning stuff i definitely notice <laughs> a shift when you were little what did you imagine your life would be like as an adult i don't think i imagined a life that i wanted but i definitely wanted freedom for my family <laughs> So there's two different cultures, right? There's restrictions and labels. And so I'm like, I don't want to live the life that they want me to live. So I was on this mission 
to rebel against them and live life on my own terms. But I don't know what that meant. Even now, when I think about like, where did my habit for journaling come from? And I remember when I was a kid, I used to write a lot. I would write my wishes and I was not even a believer then. And I was like, I don't know who I'm writing to, what I'm writing to. I grew up Catholic um, and I did not resonate with that at all. It was, it just felt like a set of rules for me. Um, until I discovered God, like first on a personal level, like later, but until then I was like, here's my dreams. Who was listening? Can you make this happen? Um, and I still remember it's so stupid, but I actually wrote down, I wanted to be a supermodel. Yeah, no, uh, that, I don't know why I think now that I am an adult and I'm like, why did I write that? It's interesting what the things that we go, uh, things that we thought about back then it might seem silly but there was a root reason as to why and I realized that um it was not because I wanted to be a supermodel I was exposed to media and I would just see supermodel pictures and I was like look I love their life their glitz and glam and everything I was like I just want to be seen and heard I want to I want to have a sense of belonging out there I don't want to be just in the four walls of this house so being a supermodel means being a super person, you know, like I will be able to have a lot of friends. I'll, I'll, able to be able, I'll be able to do what I want in life, pursue my dreams and all that. Today, I am chasing my dreams, God's desires for my heart. Uh, but it all comes from that little thing back then. I know that I wrote like 15 to 20 things I wanted. But that's the only one I still remember that's etched in my memory that I wanted to be a supermodel. Even, you know, wanting to be seen, but then also wanting to be loved. And it may seem like, oh, I want people to look at me, but it's not look at me, but but to see me and love me for who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. resonate with that. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my thing is I drew, I wanted to be an architect. So I drew like plans for my house. But uh -huh. why did I want to do that? Because I'm actually terrible with design and aesthetics. Um, and so I don't know if it's like utilitarian, like I want everything to be functional. So my house on paper was huge because I had a room for everything that I wanted to do. Right. And that didn't work out. So then I wanted to be an airline stewardess because I wanted to see the world and fly everywhere. Smart. And then I was too short. They had a rule back then, you had to be tall to reach the overhead compartment. And I'm only oh. five feet tall. I've been five feet tall since sixth grade. Couldn't do that. I, I was addicted to TV because I was watching it all the time. That's how I learned English. Then I was like, I want to write commercials. Back in the 1980s, there was jingles for all these commercials. And I thought it was so fun. I'm like, that's what I want to do. So that's what I ended up starting and going to college for. And I ended up doing that either. Not quite. I ended up doing like marketing-ish things. But it's right. interesting when we grow up, what are we're thinking, right? We may say we want this, but like you were saying, what's the heart behind it? I wanted to be a NASA scientist. And my my I, my mom would tell everyone, like she wants to be a scientist. And people who are listening on the receiving end, they're like laughing. And they're like, that's not possible for us, for us to be that. I'm like, why not? You know, I wanted, I want to be that. I wanted to be on top of the world and feel again loved seen heard and be like i want to have access that my family is not letting me have access to and i want to reach dreams and go after uh visions that people say i can't so there was again the rebellious nature there was a streak in me i wanted to do things that someone would tell me no that's not possible for you so then when it came to your career 
did you have any difficulties in like, this is going to be the vocational path that I'm going to go towards? Oh, uh, no, I have, I had no plan. Uh, I just wanted, I think, so when I came to the U.S., um, I was on a transfer visa. So I was working in a company in Kuwait called KBNG. Um, I was an auditor. And then I moved to Dallas. I realized that I don't want to be an auditor. This is like, of course, like I whole, I planned my whole thing on a, on a, you know, on the book, uh, sorry, in a book, like I want to get my CPA and my certification. And like, I want to start, have my own agency, but as it kept going, uh, as like time started going by, which is only two years, but it was torture. It was agonizing. 8, 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. That was my work schedule, especially from January wow. to April. This is not what God made me come to the U.S. for. Like, this is not what I want to do, right? If I want to quit, what's waiting on the other side? What do I do? So he's just, this is confused, you know, 26-year-old, like trying to figure out okay, I've learned all of this. I've gathered all of this knowledge and my bachelor's and master's, but I don't want any of it anymore. So where do I go from here? But I wanted to sing. So I used to be in the worship band back in Kuwait. So that was the door that opened for me uh, when it came to making a decision as to the route that I want to go. I almost almost got, I, I did get signed to a, this music label and then uh, found out that was a scam. <laughs> I don't think I lost much money. Um, anyway, so I was like, I don't want to, like, again, there's that hurt. I'm like, I don't want to sing anymore. And then it was like, kind of like, a, uh, it's like a lab, a creative lab kind of thing. And they were like, hey, why, here's a monologue. Can you do this? And I did it. And they're like, you can act too. Why don't you add that to your uh, uh, your mission of learning new things? I was like, okay. That After that was when I watched, watched Oscars. And I was like, oh, I actually want to do this. What if I can change the world being, you know, one unique brown face on the red carpet and do good things? Again, always I check my heart. Like, do I want fame or do I want to use that fame? Uh, for me, even today, I always self-check. Like, it's not that the fame, it starts with the fame, obviously, the platform, right? You need a platform for your voice to be heard. And that was what I was chasing after because I wanted to convert that platform to share the message. Now I have a message. And now this is why like I'm even in front of you, the honor of being, you know, podcasted by you uh, because I have this, this story that God gave me and God's like, you can go through this. I want you to know, now that you come out of it, can you please share it? You know, um, like you had this vocational path based on your education, but your heart has, wasn't really into it. So do you feel like when you were growing up, you didn't fit in because your dreams and your, your desires and aspirations were different from maybe your classmates or your family? Because you seem like, like a diamond in the rough growing up. I honestly don't know. I think everyone was giving this cookie cutter life and answer. I'm like, oh, I don't like this, you know? I think I'm always looking for something creative, unique, and I, uh, I like when things stand out. I like when the methods or the strategies stand out. Um, I like when someone has not tapped it yet and I'm like, oh, I'm onto something. Um, and so I think I, for the most part of my life till I got married, I did everything what my family wanted me to do. And so I did my, uh, I did my bachelor's in microbiology and I was like, oh, that's not something anyone chooses. I'm going to do something different. Uh, but I loved it. And then I was like, I want to get PhD. 
And then a boyfriend happened in my life. And then he convinced me to pursue masters in business. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? But I, I think I prioritized him over my life and that I regret. And then I ended up doing a master's in business. But now then I, after that, I came back to Kuwait. I got my job at KPMG. It's one of the big four auditing firms in the world. And so I still remember I wrote down on a piece of paper, like I want to get into one of these four, one of the big fours. Uh, and my dad would carry it in his pocket and like always like pray that I do get into one and I got it. Uh, and that was the reason why, you know, everything, like, even if something negative happens, I always see some, always, always, always see something positive come out of it, the beauty from the ashes. So that's the reason why I was able to come to, uh, to the U S even though I married my husband, who's a citizen, um, I did not come through his, you know, the legally through him, I came through the job. Um, so it all turned around. I think where I'm right now is where God not, I think, I believe where I am right now is where exactly God wants me to be or else he wouldn't have let that series of events happen in my life. So the podcast is called Being Brown and Bold, and it sounds like you've made a lot of bold choices, but also being brown, a lot of our cultural background is honoring our family and family comes first. And a lot of people struggle with that, with their honoring their parents, honoring their family, especially when we're driving towards our dreams, whether it's vocationally or where we want to live or whatever it is. I even think about like my own parents, like they didn't do the normal thing of staying in Kerala and being with their family. They went to Calcutta and they pursued education and then they left the country mm -hmm. and, you know, hardly saw their parents again. But it was definitely a struggle for them how to honor their parents. Do you feel like you also had that same struggle as you were pursuing your dreams? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So here's my parents who come with the background of intercultural marriage, right? They don't want to see that happen to their children. So I'm like, that's so selfish that you can't like you get to enjoy life and be rebellious. That I can't have that. So uh, when I married my husband, same issues, his family did not like that I was half Tamil. And so they completely shunned him like kicked him out of the family and all that. I'm like, at this point, I'm like so used to hearing no to anything that I want. But just going back to my family and how I struggled getting their approval, I'm just, I'm going to go after it. And I think I also picked up a pattern with them. They were like, there's no point in telling this thick skull of hers, like, you know, that we have, they, I, we want her to do something that we want her to do. So just, let her do what she wants. She'll learn her lesson. And so there has been a lot of, I told you this would happen, but I don't regret it. And I tell my mom, there was a few things that I wish you did. And she was upset, but I told her to take it in the right sense. Like, I wish you let us, let us kids do what we wanted rather than trying to restrict us. Because when you say no, our subconscious mind is not listening to the no. Give us the instructions and tell us in a gentle, nurturing way, rather than I'm going to punish you. I'm going to beat you with the belt. I'm going to like lock you in the room for an hour and make you learn your lesson. Like that doesn't really work. That discipline doesn't work at all. So because I grew up in that strict culture of, you know, disciplining is the way to go. I was like, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to show you how that I don't need your help. And I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what you're asking me to do. I was definitely on a self-discovery path as well. Uh, again, a young teenage girl. And, but I just saw myself as this really ugly, dark skinned girl. 
I don't think I'm cut out for love life. And so here I am like trying, like I'm going to force myself to get out there and speak with a lot of guys. And then my mom's like, why are you speaking with boys? Like I put you in a girl's school. Like, why do you have friends with boys numbers on like, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to collect more guy numbers from guys. We all took extra tutoring for uh, subjects that we were not good at. So my mom sent me tuitions. And I was like, yeah, guys, I get to know, you know, the others, uh, the, that gender now. I think I naturally, there was that streak in me that I just don't want to fit the cookie cutter uh, model of what a culture tells us to do. It might be your Enneagram. <laughs> it is actually, actually my Enneagram is three. I'm an influencer. So I like to influence my decisions. I, I don't like, I'm like, except for my parents, like, I don't want you people to influence my decisions. But um, yeah, I, I, that is a part of me. I was born with it, I'm sure. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of that story resonates with a lot of brown people. It was really bold of you, one, to like meet your husband and both of you decide to get married, especially without his family's approval. I mean, that, that feels like beyond approval. How has that been for you all? Because again, brown culture is like, you don't just marry the person, you marry the family, but obviously that couldn't really happen in your situation. Living without his family on our side, I think is a blessing. I'm sorry to say, but just watching all those Malayalam movies, like Indian movies where the in-laws are so strict. I'm like, oh, I am so glad we don't have in-laws on our side. And my husband's like, you're welcome. As long as you're happy, I don't care what, what is happening in our life. Like that's all that matters. He's also kind of like discreetly glad that his family is not in the picture as of now. I mean, we, we really pray that that changes. I keep telling Mel, like, I don't think you'll be pursuing what you're pursuing, like screenwriting, acting. And just really doing his thing, I don't think his family would approve. He never dreamt he would be pursuing this life that he's pursuing, right? It, he's like, I've never even ventured into creativity. It's more like, oh, a medical field. He was a physical therapist assistant. He's like, this is my life. I'm going to do a PhD, which he went through one semester and then he dropped out of it. And again, he was like, I'm doing this all for my family. And then you come along and you're like, He's like, you're such a disruptor. I was like, I like that title. I like that label. And then my family did try to, you know, give their input as always. But I'm like, I'm sorry. Thank you for being in my life when you, when I needed you right now, I still need you to support me, but not give your opinion. And so it's just, I just want you to be on the sidelines on the bleachers and just support me and cheer me. Um, mm -hmm. I think that they finally got it. Now they don't have any opinion. Now they're more like, How's that audition? Um, how's that? How did you, how's the sales going? How's your job going? I was like, wow, um, I, this happened actually a few months ago, the transition. So uh, I'm 35 now. And so it's like all, everything after everything that's happened and after like it took them like 35th year of my life now to say, okay, we support you. It's really cool to hear that redemption story happening and we don't agree with you, but we respect you and we trust you that you can handle things. And even though you're their daughter, they don't have to parent you. Exactly. I think there's also a trust factor. They've noticed that I've been able to be independently uh, achieving things. And so they need, you know, it's, it's, it's normal. Our parents need evidence. They need proof that it'll actually work in your favor. So much, there's a bringing in our, in our culture of fear. everything's rooted in fear. As long as we live in that fear, I don't think we can ever achieve anything in life. 
especially when it's ingrained with that culture where we are afraid what will our family say what will our family think what would the society think say about this i think i also have to admit that being in the us gives me the freedom to behave the way i'm behaving i don't know if i could do this in india like i want to be i want to be transparent and like admit that i we could all ha- be having the privilege of uh living this life uh you know on our own terms in the us maybe it's difficult in india and i'm sure it's difficult i know my cousins they are not living the life that they want so living in this country has its benefits so i guess then you could say you are living the dream life because you have no one to stop you so right that you can pursue things or at least try it out um uh, i think part of your story that i think is great is how there are these stigmas out there stigma with uh seeking help or even taking care of your mental health stigma with homelessness and stigma with um like pursuing you know this bollywood hollywood uh going and like you know that's for other people i think brown people think that that's for other people but we have these career paths that are safe and dependable because security is what's most important and i feel like you took all those and said never mind all the disrupt <laughs> the formula i don't believe in security and success i mean i believe in success and security of course uh but i don't believe pursuing that in the traditional form i want to make sure that as i'm pursuing for those things that i'm still happy along the way that i'm mentally sane and stable first in my head before and in my heart before in the physical form and so to say to admit that i know i uh, i didn't mention it out loud but i was homeless and i lived in my car for 2 years even in those 2 years even my mental health was so bad deteriorate it was deteriorating from day one um but once i understood that this is what god wants me to go through i think it was easier for me to just throw it on god i was like you know what he wants me to be homeless fine i'll accept it and like but that was a switch in my mind and i was like i'm going to accept this but not going to accept the reality but this is a bridge that i have to cross but my mental health changed and so here i am like hey i'm actually happy i'm fine living in my car that honestly was the path that got me ready to get out of homelessness you know i was i stopped fighting against it but i i'm also like my family still asks me why didn't you tell us i'm like i don't think one i don't think you'll be able to handle it two you wouldn't be able to afford us especially living in la so think about two years you i don't think you could have been you could afford paying for two you know two years worth of rent and making sure we have a life here and then also we have to be answerable to you and then we have to quit our dreams i'm like you know what i know you're going to say i told you so so i don't want to hear that i'm just going to go through this and i want to prove to myself that i can overcome this and so now i always use my homelessness story as a benchmark and any any time i go through something and i'm like, i'm always telling myself if i can get through that i can get through this this is this is just a blip um so from that journey that was when my the eyes of my mind opened uh, and i realized mental health is so so important and that's not something that's taught in our culture and so when my parents came this time i told them like please prioritize mental health i know you, we don't use the words mental health but you do we do use it in different forms but i remember when my mom i told my mom like hey i remember when you told me when i was a child when i said i'm stressed and they were like you said that as a child why do you stress you don't what do you know about stress like i don't 
I think even a five-year-old would stress, okay? When we became homeless, um, here I am handling a husband who wants to end his life. Came up with five creative ways to end his life. I was like, oh my gosh, I just, I mean, my family doesn't know. Your family, we lost. I can't lose you too. Please don't do this to me. I'm being selfish here, but please protect me. And so he was like, okay, what, what, what other options do we have? I'm like, well, we have the option of just staying positive. And so that's how I started getting on this. I got on this journey of like, I'm going to force myself to think positive thoughts because for one, I don't have a choice. Um, two, what do I have to lose? You know? And so I forced myself to think positive thoughts and I would like ask my husband, okay, good morning. I know it's not a good morning, but give me a negative thought for the day. And I will write it down. I would write it into a positive thought. And I'm like, can you just repeat this to yourself? And I'm going to get some actions behind it. And so again, words, uh, actions speak louder than words. And I hate those affirmations. I'm sorry. When they, when they say I am worthy and like, or I am happy right here, right now. That was the affirmation I saw while in the car. And I was like, uh, close your eyes and say that 50 times or whatever. I'm like opening my eyes. I'm like, I'm still in my car. Nothing has changed. I am still not happy. Why are these folks not telling us that you need to pair actions with it? What can I do to get happy? So put, putting actions in behind those words is so powerful. Uh, faith without actions also is dead. So I like combine it like, you know, action is more powerful than words and like faith without action is dead. So I need to put the words on paper for me too. This is my personal thing. I have to see it. I have to visualize it. And then I have to be like, what do I need to do? D-O to get to that positive thought. And then I need to believe in myself that I can do it. I need to have that blind faith that I can make that happen. And I, that was my, literally to me, that was my secret to getting out of homelessness and my faith and my patience. Oh my gosh, there's a lot of patience in play here. And, um, and just, yeah, just believing the words that I'm telling myself. So that's why it was so important for us to not speak anything negative or our lives. I would literally like every day, I'm like I speak life into this dry bones of homelessness. I speak life into this roof that I'm going to have over my head. And I would have physical things like a blank key and I would let just hang it on my, like in my rear view mirror in the car. And I'm like, that's going to be the key to our home. It's blank key by the way, right? That's the key to our home. I'm like, God, I have hung that key. You better manifest a home for us so I can use that key as a door key. Um, so we've done a lot of those things. It was so fun to see God like manifest. Like he was like, you have a lot of faith. Let me bless you. Let me reward you. And I've seen God come through so many times like that. So the more examples of um, the more evidence that I got from God, evidence is important. Like I said, right. Uh, the more evidence I got even from God, the more I started believing that this is supposed to happen. And I know, I know God will get us out of this. Um, and so I, that's also when my faith was tested and it just gr kept growing, growing, growing. Now I'm rebellious not to leave my faith, you know, no matter what, because in LA, there's all kinds of faith that you're exposed to, but thank God for my rebellious streak. And I'm like, uh, -uh I am not going to move away from the faith that got me out of my situation. That's how much I love the way God took care of me. I don't want to abandon that. So like the homeless situation in cities around the U.S. just feels so big. Yet those who have never experienced that, it, they really don't understand what that is like. And they have so many questions. What would you say to people who are confused? 
why it's so complicated and there's just not like this simple solution. All you have to do is blank and then you don't have to be homeless. I came to the US and I, when I'm seeing camps or just homeless community, homelessness can happen. Now that I've gone through it, it really takes someone to go through it to really look into it and be like, oh, if this happened to me, I'm this this can happen to anyone. But why did it happen to me? For us personally, it was because the cost of living in LA was so high, we just couldn't afford it. And so I was also against stubborn that I didn't want to leave LA and go back to Texas. I was like, no, I want to make this work for me. And I'm so glad I did it. Um, but I've come across a lot of people who that is the only reason they it was just affordable housing that was not that was not available for them. Uh, we've had people just look at us when we tell them our, their st our story. They're like, oh, like um, maybe did you guys like have any drug issues? That's that was my wake up call. Right. That's when I was like, this is really bad. I'm so heartbroken that people think when you're homeless that that's the reason why we could be homeless. I'm like, there's no drug issues, domestic violence. My husband's like standing right here in front next to me. The, do we look like we're beating each other up? No, it's just as simple as we don't have the money to afford this. And so it can happen to any of us in the sense, if let's say a natural disaster happens and you did not save up and you maybe you just moved to the US recently and you never got to save up, and then earthquake or something really disastrous happens, you could be homeless too. Uh, my parents are so interesting. I always correct them. They're like, you were not homeless, you were in your car. I was like, homeless means you don't have a home. Uh, and then my dad's like, I was also, now that he, he's accepted my story, my dad's like, I was also homeless. I'm like, excuse me, what? You are not homeless. I'm like, yeah, I was moving from my your cousin, like uncle's place to the, the, you know different, different places. I'm like, I mean, yes, you don't have a home, but you're not homeless. You still had a roof over your head. Homeless means you don't have a roof over your head. But the things that we can do for those of us who can't comprehend or those of us who naturally are angry that this is happening and we're also confused, like, what do we do? I can't just, you know, share a post on Instagram and be like, done with it. No, you can't do that. But it's as simple as calling your local officials and, you know, advocating for policy changes, um, donating money or time to local organizations who are already doing the work. And so that this is where like when I launched my small business, I didn't want it to make focus on profits. I didn't want to focus on the sales or customers. I mean, yes, that's a focus. But for me, again, my priority is always I want to build a platform and use uh, convert that into getting the message across. So our small business brand, it's a social impact model. So we do a buy one, give one. So when you buy one, we donate one. So we, um, I have now donated about six, seven hundred, uh, the decks of our affirmation cards to homeless young adults. I go to uh, unhoused shelters and speak to the youth and the women there. And so this is what I'm focusing on. Like the brand is just a platform. I want to use that, you know, this, the money from the sales, I want to put it to giving back. And I, I know that I went through my story to not just for my personal growth, but actually to pay it forward. Uh, and that I'm 100% sure that's the reason. And so if you hear of a brand or of a small business or of a nonprofit organization who are serving the homeless community, all you have to do is just show up to them, show up for them, donate your money, donate your time. If you have the heart to volunteer, go ahead and do that. 
I know not all of us want to volunteer and that's totally okay. There are some organizations that my heart doesn't resonate with that. You don't have to feel guilty about that. And if you don't feel uh, like homelessness resonates with you, then just check in yourself and see what do you resonate with? Maybe you resonate with sex trafficking victims. Maybe you resonate with animal shelters. Totally fine, totally fine. As long as whatever you feel like, feel like you're doing good, just show up for that. So easiest way that I also found myself, like I love animals, I love pets. And so my heart, like I, but I can't get myself to volunteer for dog shelters. The reasons because I get so attached and I'm like, I can't stand watching the abuse that they've gone through. But I asked myself, okay, you're not willing to go there. What can you do then? I can actually give my money to them. That Why don't I do that? Let them do the work. So the same way, you know, let us do the work. Let us help you. And you help us help you by uh, giving us your attention, giving us your uh, donations, giving us your uh, time, and then we'll do the work for you. Think of like, what can you do to inspire action? How can you show up for your community? How can you show up for a cause that maybe your neighbor might not show up for your story is so encouraging because even though you have gone through depression your husband's gone through depression uh like you were proactive in taking care of your mental health and then you're paying it forward by helping others take care of their mental health um especially in the south asian community there had been so much stigma but it's so cool because now i know at least like personally like five or six south asian counselors who are making it a point to help people in the South Asian community because it's, he saw even like the older generation, how they were going through things, but they were going at it alone because I think South Asians are told to like, you know, you have to take care of things. So don't worry about how you're feeling, just do the things. You, and so like, even my father would like help people, pastoral counseling, things like that. So it's great to hear how you just have such a heart for that. And I think that message needs to keep going forward, based on everything you've gone through, what would you now say to 18-year-old Reggie, you know, like now that you have all this wisdom at the ripe old age of 35? Uh, I don't think I have still have enough wisdom. Uh, I'm still uh, gathering that, like going to the field and like picking my fruits that's ready for harvest. I'm still picking out wisdom. Um, what I would tell my 18 year old is that don't, don't quit on your rebellious nature. Like that's what's got you uh, this far uh, and, and have bigger dreams. Don't be afraid to you know, dream big and it's okay if an adversity comes through. And I think that was one thing that I was not mentally prepared for, uh, but I got a lot of prophetic dreams and visions and I knew that this was going to happen. So um, I want to tell my 18-year-old who was not a believer then, like, you know, just so you know, God's going to be with you through every step of the way. And don't be afraid. Just blindly just keep walking forward. Keep marching forward. Don't look back. Um, and you, you're going to achieve every dream that you ever wanted, regardless of what the society or the culture tells you. So, yeah, very, very, very simple answer. So if there's a listener that's trying to make a, a decision for a bold move or they're hesitant about making a bold move, what would you like to say to them? I think I would love for whoever is about to take a big decision, something that's out of the normal. 
I want you to actually write it on a piece of paper, the pros and cons of pursuing that move. If you find yourself writing a lot of pros more than cons, you're on the right track, I would say go for it. But if you're feeling negative and if you're feeling that also like look at the cons, is it being influenced by your own heart? Then okay, then maybe you need to see if that's really good for you or not. But if your cons are all being influenced by what the society is telling you or dictating to you, then ignore that. So that's how I like I made the decision, uh, several of the decisions. But again, I decided to uh, pursue acting and I did do the same thing. And I saw my, my pros were definitely heavier than the cons. I was like, okay, I'm going to make a move. Uh, but lo and behold, um, I ended up becoming homeless. I didn't know that was going to happen. Um, so sometimes you you will, you will, or you might, or you might not, uh, I hope you don't, but you might encounter uh, an adversity that you will have to overcome to get to that place because whatever adversity, if you look back, that is going to nurture you and prep you for the next step of your destiny, next phase of your life. So for me, I had to go through that to learn who I am and who I was and how to unlearn who I was and get my mind ready. And there was a lot of humility check, a lot, a lot of thought inventory check. And I was like, wow, that I'm glad that I learned so much about me while going through that. So accept that there will be roadblocks. There will be a lot of downs, but the ups are going to be way more. And so writing on a piece of paper and weighing the pros and cons and praying about it, pray, ask God for three signs if you have to. Um, and if you have peace in your heart, and you're like, I'm not afraid. There's no doubt. This is what I want. Go for it. And that's Thank my you advice. so much for sharing all that. Um, we want our listeners to know that uh, Affirmation Darling, that they can get, um, they can check out the products there. And that definitely when uh, they purchase anything, you donate uh, yes. the same exact thing to someone who is really needing it, that needs yep. to hear like about their identity, that they are loved and they are not alone. And so I love that you do that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Uh, I'm on, yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, Affirmation Darling. I'm on, uh, I'm on website is also Affirmation Darling. I'm also going to be coming out with newsletter, which I'm so excited about. And I'm going to share my learnings, my, um, on how to basically develop a darling mindset, which is what I like to call it, a mindset of self-worth, self-love, and how to achieve and manifest the dream life that you want. So sign up on my uh on my website well which i have to post on it but uh please do be on the lookout for that yeah and in our show notes we'll put the links for all those things Bridgie, thank you so much for coming on and thank you all for joining us on this episode of being brown and bold we're so glad that you could join us and we will be right back here next week to drop our next episode till then be wise and be bold.